Hello, hello. Welcome back to Leading Women in Tech. We are back today with an episode I have wanted to bring to you for a very, very long time. I have a very dear friend, one of my previous mentors. She is kind of still a mentor in my head, even though she doesn't know it. The simply extraordinary Trish Dan Kroger. But before I introduce Trish, I just want to catch up with you all. As you're aware, March is rapidly approaching and International Women's Day is just around the corner. And I am going to give all of you a gift to International Women's Day. I think it is the one time of the year where we need to recognise that as women in tech, we need to lift each other up. So I'm pulling together a couple of extraordinary women for you to listen to about their careers, about their success, be inspired, learn from them. This is a completely free event on Zoom. I just ask that you give yourself the gift of coming along for a couple of hours We are asking you to register simply so we can keep the numbers under control. The URL you need is tonycollis.com forward slash IWD for International Women's Day. Go there, sign up, save your space. Even if you can't attend live, we will be sending out a replay for one week. Do yourself the honor of showing up to learn a little bit about how to elevate your career in 2023. Become the women in tech that we all need you to be so that together we can change the world. Because without you becoming that women in tech leader that you are capable of becoming, we aren't benefiting from what you have to deliver to the human race. That's my little mission statement for you all today. Go off, do that. The link is in the show notes as always. But without further ado, I've got a little bit more inspiration for you today in the form of today's guest, Trish Kroger. Trish is an extraordinary human who I wish all of you had the honor to meet in person. So the best I can do is bring her onto the podcast. I've known her, I don't know how long I've known her, but of a very long time now. <laughs> and quite simply, she changed my life. Meeting Trish put me on the path to where I am today. Meeting Trish helped me understand how I could be a better leader. It helped me realize that leadership was one of my passions. And I really hope that listening to today's show is going to elevate you and your leadership in just a small way. You're listening to the Leading Woman in Tech podcast, where we talk about real leadership and what this means for the world of tech, the techniques, tips, and strategies you can use to become a standout leader. I'm your host, Tony Collis, tech leadership coach, strategist, and coffee lover. And in each episode, I share my best insights designed to make your success not just simple, but inevitable. Whether you're on the way to the C-suite, an emerging leader, or a budding entrepreneur, This is the podcast you need to become a lit-up leader and turn your tech passion into a career you love. Let me tell you a little bit about her before we get her on the show. She joined Hewlett Packet Enterprise in April 2022, so just under a year ago, as Senior Vice President and Chief Product Officer for the HPC and AI Business Unit. This is how we know each other, because you know, if you listen to the show, I love a bit of supercomputing, even though I don't do it anymore. In this role, she leads the end-to-end product strategy for the organization, driving efforts to scale the business to enable the next wave of growth and innovation. Prior to joining HPE, Trish was VP and General Manager of the HPC Group at Intel, responsible for setting the technical HPC strategy from exascale to department-level supercomputers. By the way, if you, you all need a bit of exascale in your life, I know most of you are like, what is exascale computing? But... The human race really benefits from a big supercomputer. I know I'm biased and I do miss working in that space just a little bit. But this woman is opening up supercomputers to the human race, in my opinion. 
Before that, Trish was the Acting Associate Director of Computation at Lawrence Livermore National Lab, leading a group of more than a thousand supercomputing engineers and scientific experts. But without further ado, let's get Trish onto the show. Welcome, Trish. Thank you, Tony. Thrilled to be here. Oh, it's exciting. As I always like to do at the beginning of every episode that I, when I interview someone, I love to hear about someone's career journey. Can you share with us your career journey today, your highlights and your lowlights? Because I think there's always so much to learn from that. Yes. And I think, you know, one of the big takeaways for me um, is it's a journey. So there's definitely been ups and downs. So I am an electrical engineer by degree. I started as an engineer and in the national labs and I found quickly that I was a, you know, average engineer. I was good, but where I really excelled was bringing people together, driving programs and projects, working with customers, and that's kind of where I found my sweet spot. And I worked in the National Labs for almost 25 years before I joined Intel. And I think Intel was when I got that that epiphany of saying, oh my gosh, this is truly my sweet spot. It's that bringing those technical engineers along with the business sense, you know, and and driving it with that customer. Just that's where I just um, found this is the job that I love. And um, luckily I've been able to move that into Hewlett Packard Enterprise where I get to do that just at a bigger level. So not only do I have all of the high performance computing, I have all the specialty computing to whether it's um, our in-memory database or it's our non-step technology. So it's just um, been a continual growth, but you know, you always go, sometimes you go backwards to go forwards. And I, I have lots of stories about when that has happened. And we're definitely going to be digging into some of that today so that everybody can learn from that and also realize that they're not alone. Because inevitably, I think everybody's stories sometimes go backwards. I always feel like if we don't take a back step at some point, we're not learning. And if we're not learning, we're not doing everything we can. Uh, so I'm excited to dive into that with you. But before we do, for I talk about supercomputing a fair amount on the show because it's my background. But I do, I'm, I'm acutely aware that most people are like, what is that? So for the uninitiated, can you tell us what HPC, high performance computing, or supercomputing is all about and why you are passionate about it? Well, it's definitely the coolest thing. We have that in common. <laughs> so I found HPC probably 20 years ago. Um, you know, like I said, I was an electrical engineer. I was doing much more typical electrical engineering type stuff. And when I joined Lawrence Livermore National Lab specifically, they use supercomputers extensively to model physical phenomena because they couldn't test. Um, you know, some examples are in their national ignition facility, they're trying to get fusion on Earth. And obviously, we can't go and test a star, what's happening up at the star. So we have to take those physical models and then simulate them based on the physical properties. We also now are using data to help us. So AI is, is augmenting what we're doing in supercomputing, but it's a way to speed up um, insights. Um, car manufacturers use it to better understand crash analysis. Hey, the diapers are, you know, they used it to figure out how to contain the fluid or the Clorox bottle when you drop it, you know, it doesn't burst because of high performance computing. So it's used from 
you know, your consumer products all the way up to the, you know, how to do new innovations in medicine and um, energy, you know, across the board. So I just think it's an accelerator. It's a tool. The bottom line is a tool for us scientists and engineers to use to get to the answer faster. And as an engineer, I start to geek out about some of the technology that's in it. But um, the bottom line, it's just a tool that we can use. Tell us briefly a little bit about the technology that's in it, because I like a little bit of geeking out over that too. I, I get this over dinner, so my husband is still in high-performance computing. I get, I get the updates then. Uh, but for the audience, why, why is the technology side of it so interesting? Well, I think... So let's just step back. So we just achieved exascale in the past year. And what's exascale? You go, what's exascale? You know, <laughs> it's one times 10 to the 18th. So it's a lot of zeros. But I think it's more than that. Um, it's just we've been able to achieve compute that allows us to um, solve problems that we weren't able to solve before. Um, so what's the technology in that? It requires that we have top end, you know, very fast processing technology um, in the CPU and GPU. We have to have a tight interconnect so that because the IO becomes a bottleneck, if we're not able to move the data between the processors quickly and move it to and from storage, we have to have very large storage um, to be able to store all this data because when you're doing that much compute that fast, Obviously, you're creating a lot of data. And so all these things have to work together seamlessly. And that requires a software stack that is fairly unique. Mm -hmm. And so that is gone on top of that. And and HPE is, I mean, the great thing about HPE is it does have all these technologies. So we're able to test them all together and make sure that we can deliver an integrated system, um, which is really important. But I think, you know, it's just... We're always using that cutting edge technology, which creates a lot of challenges because when you're bringing up systems for the first time and that scale of a system, it's um, it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's a lot of long <laughs> nights, let me tell you. Yeah, definitely a lot of fun. I, I hear that a fair amount from my my husband. Like he, both of us are software people by training. Um, I was very much like, making sure the applications were scalable right because uh, you're right there's a there's a unique set of challenges which i think one of the beautiful things about hpc is it trickles down into standard computing in five to ten years and so what we're doing today will be in your desktop in 10 years time if not sooner right like the things i did at the beginning of my career are now things that everybody uses day to day they just don't even know it uh, but my, my husband works in in the kind of interface of like, why is the hardware not working well, but from a software perspective? So it's such a complicated set of technologies all brought together under this one umbrella of supercomputing, which I just love. We could spend all day talking about that. I would totally be happy to do that. But the, <laughs> the listeners are here to learn about leadership from you, um, particularly leadership careers. And I want to talk a little bit about the patriarchy. Because along your journey, I know from our discussions that you've hit the patriarchy once or twice at least. You've had great managers and not so great managers. So what is your secret sauce? Because you're extraordinarily successful. So what is your secret sauce for keeping your head above the water when those times are tough? I think there's, there's a few things. Um, one, you need to have a support system. 
because, oh, I've had times where I, you know, my manager was um, to the point where he, and I would say he, I allowed myself to feel like I couldn't walk and talk at the same time, you know, just using a common phrase, but to the point where I really didn't think I was capable of the job. And we allow those voices in our heads. And so it's really important that you have a support network that can tell you, no, Trish, remember when you did X, Y, Z, you're very capable. Or So that's that's one thing I think is, is having that group that are your advocates just for you. You know, the the second thing that um, it's again talking about it's a journey. So having that mindset that you're going to hit roadblocks, that you're going to have challenges and um, that you have you can persevere. So I I grew up with the mantra, you can achieve anything if you put your mind to it. And I think that has been very helpful when I've had challenging situations is I can achieve this if I just put my mind to it. So those two things are, are key, that support system and just that mindset that you can do it. Absolutely. I think a lot of the mindset work requires us to have that basic support structure in place. I mean, I talk a lot about, you know, learning how to be your own internal advocate. I think that is essential for us. Oh, 100%. We need the external network as well to, so it doesn't drain us, if nothing else. Even if you have become amazing at self-motivation, uh, you don't need external validation. If, you're, if your personal network is draining you, that's just an extra burden that is just unhelpful. So... Would you agree with the statement that look at your network, look at your people and ask yourself if they're serving you or if they are just a drain on resources? A hundred percent. I, um, you know, I'm, I'm in my fifties. And so I think you're looking back at my career. I never, I didn't do that as well in my twenties and thirties, really looking at the network and is it serving me? I am very good at just getting rid of anybody that is not bringing me the positive energy that I need to be successful. So you're going to have to deal with these people, whether it's your boss or a coworker, or right now I'm dealing with a very difficult customer. <laughs> and uh, you don't get to choose your customers, right? No. So those things you just have to learn how to kind of deal with kind of compartmentalize sometimes so they mm -hmm. don't spread into the rest of your life. But you do get to choose your friends. Yeah, that's where the mindset piece really comes in there as well, because you do need to learn how to compartmentalize. You need to know how to say, yes, I've got to deal with that difficult customer right now, or my boss is an utter, whatever you want to say. Mm -hmm. um, but you know what, I, I want to work in this role. I mean, I was thinking, you know, you should have a good look at the boss relationship if it really is a toxic relationship and whether or not you need to do something about that. But assuming that you've decided, no, I can put up with this individual, but it is a drain on me. We have to learn how to put that, shield it from the rest of our life so it doesn't stop us doing our job, but let alone getting on with our personal life. What would be your tips for helping somebody do that, Trish? So, in fact, I'm working with um, a woman right now who reached out over the weekend and just said, I, I'm just really struggling, Trish. 
you know, how should I, I deal with the situation? Because she has a situation at work that she loves her job, like loves her job, but there's an issue, right? And so when I've faced this before, I think um, she felt like she was trapped. She was no longer controlling her life. And so we talked about how she could take control back of, of the situation and get it to be her choice. So one of the things that I did when I was in the situation, and it was for me, it was a boss situation, is I went out and looked for another job. And when I got that job offer or opportunity, then I took control. I got to choose whether I wanted to stay or go. And so I think those are the things that we all have choices here. You get to choose whether you want to stay or go. You get to choose whether, you know, the kind of what you're going to sign up for. And I think we get to the point where we don't, we forget that. And the biggest lesson, so I left my job at Intel. And it was so scary to leave and just say, uh, I need I need another challenge, right? And yeah. I chose specifically to not even look for another job until I'd been gone for a couple months because that was the advice I was given. And I'm the only breadwinner in the family, so it's me. <laughs> so <laughs> super scary and really hard. But I mean, I know you face this too, right? You made the decision to take that leap of faith in yourself. Best decision I've ever done. Yeah. And and it gave me back my power. Yeah. I, I've seen that so many times. Many of you know that I did that. I quit my job without having a business. Um, I knew it's what I wanted to do, but I just, I was like, okay, now is the time. I just reached a point where I had to do something and I, I took that control back. Best thing I've ever done. Earlier in my career, I'd, I'd not quit jobs, but I'd, what we'd now call quiet quitting. <laughs> um, not necessarily saying that's the right thing to do, by the way, but I think that was my, at that point, that was all I could do to take back control. And I think now coaching thousands of women, the ones who really do really well are the ones that make those kinds of decisions. Say, even if it's not, I'm going to quit because maybe they simply can't afford to. I think more of us can afford to than we think we can. I think we're more scared than we, and we allow that to control us more than we should. But just simply deciding I have the ability to control my future here is so extraordinary. And it helps us make better decisions rather than grasping at what's presented to us on a platter and thinking that's the only opportunity for us. I think when we take that control, we see this vision of all these opportunities laid out like a corridor of doors. Whereas before that, we just have the one door in front of us and we think that's the only one out there. It's basically never true. I think there's infinite opportunities for every single one of us. There are. And I think that we get, when you get in those situations, you get backed in the corner and that's when your your brain is in the fight flight mode versus really thinking yeah. that about all those options and opportunities. And so stepping back, taking control and saying you are worth it and you have options. Well, on that note, I actually want to talk about confidence for a minute because by all accounts, you've achieved an extraordinary amount in your career. I mean, you are 
you've been a role model, as I've said, for most of my career. And even today, we're on very different career paths now, but you are still a role model to me. Sorry, Trish. Sorry, not sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And I think there's so much we can learn from you. Um, Whenever I've met you in person, the one thing that always strikes me is your level of confidence. I now know with the job I do that sometimes confidence isn't we see confidence in others, which is maybe not what we would think is of confidence. So I'd love to know a little bit about your tricks there, your toolkit maybe. Why do you think you are able to provide that level of confidence, at least externally? And what's going on in your head? And what can we learn from that in order to move faster in our careers? Okay. So I do think age helps a lot. So let's just, you know, put it out there. Um, age <laughs> brings a lot of experiences. And so you think, oh, I've done this before. I can do that. So that's one thing. But how did I get the confidence? Well, one, you know, starting with being told you can accomplish anything if you put your mind to it. Um, so, and I, you know, there are some things I definitely failed at, you know, but I really had that intrinsic belief that that was the case. Um, another thing is I got an executive coach very early on in my career. When I first became a manager, I worked at Sandia National Labs and they did a great job. You know, they saw what they thought were high potential people. They assigned coaches to them. And there was a couple things that this executive coach helped me with. One was my stage presence. I mean, I was, and it, you know, it's those painful things that we all have done or, Mm -hmm. you know, are doing, <laughs> getting filmed, getting up there, doing it again and again and again. And of course, practice does help build your confidence because you've done it before. So, you know, you can do it again. Um, going and looking at other people and then having discussions. So she's like, who do you think is the best presenter, you know, in the company? And then we would go and we would watch this person, Mim, who is just amazing. And then we go and come back and talk about what did she do that was so impressive? So breaking it down into doable tasks. Mm. And I think that that was so helpful. The other thing she did, which is pretty funny, um, I really, I grew up in a pretty, um, I don't know, standard family, but we did not swear. You know, it was just, and I was the only woman, you know, I was this girl, truly just out of school and, and fairly young with all men. And they would curse like you wouldn't believe, you know, and every time they did, I would kind of, you know, have this reaction and it would just stop me from thinking and be able to even respond because it was just so different. Right. So she actually took me in a room and made me say the F word again and again and again (laughs) and not flinch. And from that day forward, I could deal with it. So, I mean, it was just stupid stuff, but she did those kind of exercises that number one, made me feel comfortable in the situations that I was facing, but also um, gave me some tools about how to own a stage, how to plant yourself, how to breathe, super important. Mm. Um, And so giving me those tools that really helped my confidence too. Oh, wow. Um, it's wonderful that you had some an employer early on in your career that did that for you. One of the things that I find very sad, actually, is one of the things I've seen in the last decade is a contraction of support for us in our careers. A lot of employers are providing less professional development funds. 
which which actually breaks my heart. I mean, obviously, I'm slightly biased because I'm a coach. Right, right, I think right, everybody right. should get this kind of professional development. But I, I do see that as actually damaging the development, particularly of women, because women are less likely to get that informal support at work. Do you see that happening as well? I think um, as the, you know, until you have a critical mass of women, you're not going to have that support that you need. And, and you know, whether that's 30, you probably know better than I do of what that critical mass is. <laughs> I always say it's at least 30%. And I definitely find that. Luckily, I do see we are kind of at that point at HPE where I work with a, a number of women, um, very strong women. And um, luckily, my yeah, my employer is a very supportive of diversity. And so it's been a, a wonderful situation uh, in this, at least this employer. But, oh, boy, I've had situations where that's not the case. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. What would be your top three pieces of advice to a woman in tech considering landing her next leadership role? Ideally, a leadership role that's a bit of a stretch from the current one, because I love those kind of opportunities. So I do think every woman, every person needs to um, have a mentor and really that they're able to talk to and have these conversations with and understand what it takes for that next step. If you are trying to go to the next step, I usually recommend a coach because that's going to help you really hone your skills. Like I said, a coach comes in and, you know, a lot of times they're a six month to a one year um, engagement and they can really hone those skills for that next level. The most important thing you need is a sponsor. You need somebody that's in the room when you're not advocating for you. And as I, again, have looked at the progression of my career, I have shifted from being that mentor to being a sponsor, because that's the only way we're going to get diversity being pulled up, because we've truly got to pull them up. And it's a, kind of a new thing to me to really look at sponsorship. Um, I've never thought about it for myself until recently, but obviously I always had him because I would not have gotten all the um, opportunities if I didn't. So get a sponsor. Yeah. Actually, one of the questions I want to ask you there is you said that you had sponsors. Maybe you didn't know you had them. Like, what do you think you did to get those sponsors without realizing it? And I think this is, you know, and I'm still trying to figure out um, because, uh, you know, a lot of people will not sponsor you unless they've worked with you and they've had, you know, you've demonstrated that that is they're worth sponsoring you. So that's the number one thing, working with them and showing them that you have those capabilities and you could do something more. And that means that you've got to get out of your shell and talk to that next level and the level up beyond that. A lot of people sit and just think if they do a really good job, they'll get noticed and it will all come together, but it doesn't, um, you know, because your sponsor may, a lot of times your sponsor is your boss or your boss's boss if, if they have um, some insight into what you're doing, but you're going to increase your odds if you spread that. So go to your boss's peers and really get to know them and maybe even do a project for them, help them out. 
you know, it's, it's just um, getting beyond maybe your comfort zone and kind of looking for um, opportunities to have your, your skill set acknowledged in a wider scope or area. Yeah. I often say to people, the number one thing you can do in order to create those kind of relationships where they might turn to sponsors is always ask yourself the question of how can I make this person's life easier? I think a lot of the time- I love that. Yeah. A lot of the time early in our careers, we are always asking questions and we're pointing things at I was this person. I could see problems with everything, which legitimately I thought I was making the world a better place by saying, hey, did you see that we're going to have a train crash if we don't do anything about this? Right. But I became the problem person rather than the solutions person. I think the more we can make our bosses' lives easier, the better. Yeah. And when people come and say, will you be my sponsor? I want to go, why? Why would I be your sponsor? <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I don't yeah. do that. But I just think to myself, um, but if somebody said is, hey, I see this problem. Would you, you know, I, these are the options. What do you think? I'd be like, oh, that person's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm going to keep my eye on that one. Yeah, 100%. Well, let's move on to the quick fire round. Uh, okay. Are you ready for this? Of course. What is... <laughs> What is the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? Oh, what is the worst piece of advice? Oh, there's so many things. Um, <laughs> the absolute worst piece of advice was from a manager who told me that my personality, just the way I was, was not meant to be a leader. I wasn't um, forceful enough with wow. people. And it, I, you know, I, I sat there and I was like, but I've been successful with this way. And it, it really struck me like, am I, can I not be successful in this company being who I am? And, um, and, you know, it was just that individual had a different style of leadership and management, but yeah, don't change who you are inherently because that just doesn't work. Well, I am forever grateful that you didn't change because meeting, having you as a role model early in my career and the style of leadership you had, I thought, wow, that is, like I said at the beginning, meeting you really changed it. And for me, it gave validation to the fact that you can be a kind, generous leader who, I'm trying to think how you lead that really struck me so strongly when I first met you. I almost want to say you led from behind. That's not really what I mean, because it's not like you're not visible, but it's not about asserting that you're the most important person in the room. It's lifting everybody else to be alongside with you. And that's now what I try and do in my coaching is to demonstrate to people that it's such a powerful way to lead. It's extraordinary. So I'm very glad you did it. It's not your typical testosterone based way to lead. Not at all. I am very grateful you never listened to that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Me too. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Oh, I think that's from my father. You can do anything if you put your mind to it. Um, and we all know mm-hmm. that, you know, I say you can do anything. You can, I, and you can also, I always say you can have everything, but maybe not all at once. <laughs> kind of thing too. But yeah, my dad <laughs> is the one. You yeah. can be anything, Trish. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I hope everybody listening hears that. I truly believe every single one of you can be every, anything you want because I've just seen this time and time again. I uh, Just listen to what Trish just said. Best piece of advice, hands down. What was the last book you read, Trish? Oh, you know what? I'm I'm reading a book, um, Why When Women Lead, mm. and I'm loving it. Um, 
Yeah, Julia Bornstein. And she talks to... I don't think I've actually read that one. It's it's new, and I just got a, um, I just got it. So I never remember their last book, you know, but I'm always like, oh, this is my new one, and I'm loving it, loving it. <laughs> well, I will make sure that I find that and put a link in the show notes for anybody who wants to pick that one up. What's the next location on your travel calendar? Because you're one of the busiest travelers I know. Maybe not so much these days, but what's the next location on no, your travel calendar? it's bad. It's really bad. <laughs> I'm home this week and it's super cool. My husband's like, oh, that's what you look like. Um, I'm in Washington, <laughs> D.C. next week. Oh, exciting. Hopefully yeah. not too cold. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I don't know. At the end of every episode, I love to give listeners a simple mindset tip to help them adjust how they think or act on the topic of today's podcast. So what is your favorite mindset tip for women leaders? Oh, I, you know, I think it's, it's having that um, growth mindset and there's plenty for everyone. So we often get into situations where we don't think they're, there's enough for everyone. And so you're, you know, you're fighting within yourself. And I, I just step back. There's growth. There's plenty for everyone. You know, that abundance. Yes, absolutely. hundred percent. There's plenty of room at the top, in my opinion, plenty of room. How can people connect with you, find out what you do, find out more about supercomputing for that matter? Um, <laughs> where's your favorite place to connect? Yeah, probably, you know, I, I am, I'm not that active on LinkedIn, but I'm, I definitely am looking on LinkedIn. You can always message me on LinkedIn. Um, and that is where I probably have the most interactions with folks. And also I'm Trish at hbe.com. So reach out, love to connect with folks. Um, one of my favorite things is bringing people together and, and just creating that, place for conversation. hundred percent. What would be your final thought, final takeaway from today's conversation? I think my, so, you know, Tony, you talk about um, how I've been your mentor and in all situations, I always feel like I get more out of the relationship than less and how you were an inspiration for me when I decided to leave Intel, because oh, I wow. thought Tony can do it. I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I didn't know that. That's kind of, that's very humbling. Thank you, Trish, so much. I actually think that is a beautiful message to leave everybody with today is when you're finding a mentor, when you're building these relationships of people who are gonna lift you up, Remember that we all get something from these. We get to learn from people who are earlier in our career than us. Um, this is a two-way thing. So don't feel bad about asking for something. Obviously, we want you to give as much as you, at, at least as much as you ask for. But it is a two-way relationship. That's a, that's mm -hmm. a beautiful message to leave us with today. Thank you so much, Trish. No, thank you. This has been an extraordinary conversation for me. As you can all tell, I'm a little bit like, I've wanted this lady on the show for a long time. And so it has been wonderful to share with you all how Trish has changed my life and my career. I hope you found it as inspiring as I have. I hope you've all learned something today and I hope you'll go off and do something a little bit different because of what you've heard. Remember the small steps really do make a difference. 
And as always, ladies, remember until next time, stay on your tech leadership game, follow your dreams because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, check out how to get more of my help and some free resources. It's where I take what I talk about in this podcast and really help you apply it. Hop on over to tonycollis.com and check out Work With Tony and free resources in the menu bar. Until next time, this was Tony Collis on the Leading Woman in Tech podcast.